You have your Bibles with you? Got your Bibles with you? Digital? Analog? All right. It's important that you have the Word, but also that the Word has you. I just made that up. We'll see if it sticks. We're in Luke 19 this morning. Turn there with me. And a familiar story of a man named Zacchaeus. How many of you know that story? When I say Zacchaeus, immediately I want to start singing the children's song. Zacchaeus was a wee little... Do you know it? A wee little man was he. He climbed up in... I did not plan on doing this. Don't make a fool out of me. People are watching online going, I was going to go to that church. Not so sure now. All right. Love that song. It works. Children's ministry works. Luke 19, verses 1 through 10, the story of a wee little man named Zacchaeus. The title of my message is The Heart of Jesus. Zacchaeus is a successful man. And when I think of him and read this story, I also think of the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. John chapter 4. Thank you. Now, you couldn't think of two more opposite stories in the Bible. Zacchaeus, a wealthy, successful man, and the Samaritan woman, really an, an outcast of society. And what I love about just looking at these things in God's word, is to see that to Jesus, they're the same. They're the same. And I need to learn of and be reminded of the heart of God for people. Because I'm a minister, if you didn't know. People call me Pastor Terry. And that means that I am merely just speaking for the Lord. I'm representing the Lord. But guess what? So are you. It's not, just, it's not just me, the professionals. If I'm at any dinner party or anything at somebody's house, they go, well, Pastor Terry, why don't you pray? And I think, well, why? Because I'm the professional? You could pray. No, you could pray for dinner. Um, we get to represent God to the public. And the question is, do we do a good job at that? Do I really represent God's heart for people? And it often gets distorted by, one, how I, what I think God thinks of me whenever I sin or whenever I struggle, because I think, oh, probably God's so disappointed in with, with me. Or we just look at people who are just so, you know, in our standards, so irritating or disgusting in their lifestyle. And we think, I don't know what to say to them. What does God even think? God probably loves them, but don't ask me to talk to them. And we have to get over that. You and I are ambassadors for Christ, as Paul says. We're ambassadors. We represent the king of our citizenship. 
This week I was with our team of Poyman pastors. Now I'm part of a ministry called Poyman Ministries, and that word means shepherd. We're a group of 13 pastors, and we, with our wives, we serve pastors. We are pastors to pastors. And we are all over the world. Um, We weren't all together because one of our team is over in Europe. Um, And we are all on different assignments all over the country. Pastoring churches, showing up to trouble that happens in churches. We might fill in for pastors on sabbaticals. We never know what we are walking into. But you know what? By this time, we've seen it all. And we're okay with it. Difficult people, that's not really unusual. Problem board members, old situations. This is just part of dealing with people. And I'm just not going to stress out about these things anymore. We're just going to deal with it. You're either with me or not, whatever you want to do. I'm here to represent the Lord graciously And I love being here. I was able to share what the Lord is doing here at Verbatim Church. One of the things we did together this week, um, I was in Texas, is uh, a movie is going to be released the beginning of next year called The Jesus Revolution. It is retelling the beginnings of the Jesus movement, which is where Calvary Chapel came from. You might not know, but Calvary Chapel started as a little neighborhood church of 25 people. In Corona Del Mar, California, it's down by Newport Beach. Pastor Chuck pastored a little, when you drive down the street and see one of these little, tiny little churches in the neighborhoods, Calvary Chapel started that way. And Chuck had no idea what God was about to do. It was in the middle of the hippie movement. It was 1968. You get tired of hearing these stories about the revival? Okay, good, because I'm telling them anyway. (laughs) I tell these stories not to relive the past, the good old days. I'm not really interested in the good old days. I'm interested in remembering how God works. That's why we study the Bible. We're looking at how God works. And that was a time in which a whole generation had been written off. They were the hippies, but if you really talk to them, they were looking for God. And the church would say, well, that's crazy. How do you find God in drugs? But you realize the established church at that time did not represent the heart of God in in many cases. Not that every church was, you know, a bad church, but those kids didn't see the love of God in Christianity at large. They didn't see it. And so they went looking for something. Peace and love, they meant it. Peace and love. And of course, they didn't find it in drugs and sex, in communal living. And so they started swinging back around. And a few of them made their way to a little tiny church in Newport Beach called Calvary Chapel. And they started bringing more. 
Now, Pastor Chuck was in his late 40s by that time, really ready to quit the ministry because of repeated disappointments in trying to get it right and failing. I think one of the best teachers of dependence on God is failure. Can you say amen? When when you've run out of your ideas, then you go, "Okay, okay, God, I need help. There's something about how stubborn we all are. Are you stubborn? Tell the truth. Are you stubborn? Some of you more than others. That stubbornness masquerades as commitment, as discipline, as faithfulness. But you notice the difference between your discipline and dependence on God is that one works and the other one doesn't. And by working, I mean mean that you personally experience the peace of God in your life. There is no peace in self-will. There's just anxiety and push, and eventually you just wear yourself out. Have you experienced that? If you tell me that you're just wearing yourself out, I go, great. Let's pray. Let's let's see what the Lord wants to do. Your life begins when you yield your life to the Lord. That's when the greatest things can happen. And so in our appointment team, we're saying, now some of them were hippies living on the streets that God saved and brought into the church, and they have been in the ministry these past 45, 50 years. They were hippies, and they still kind of act like it. They don't want anybody to tell them what to do. Not going to follow a schedule. Once a hippie, always a hippie. But the question is, how is God going to reach this generation? And there are similarities. One of the main things is they have to, those people out there, have to come in contact with God's people who will show them the heart of God. That's simply where it begins. It's not quoting Bible verses at them. It's not merely, you know, clean yourself up. Those hippies heard, yes, you can come to church after you go take a shower and put some shoes on. We were, we were crying while we were watching the movie. Because we all need to be reminded of the grace and the love of God for all people without discretion without any discretion. But there is a gulf between us and people who have no interest in God. So the question for us is how can we be more like Jesus? Do you know that's the highest purpose that God has for us? Is that you are becoming like his son. 
He's more interested in what you're becoming than what you're doing for him. We're so works-oriented. He just wants to be with you and shape your life. The rest flows out of it very naturally. Read with me. Pick up at Luke 19, verse 1. Luke writes, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. Take note of the the details here. A chief tax collector. And you all go, boo. And he was rich. He sought to see Jesus, see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must come to your house. The fact that Jesus knew his name tells you something right there. The details, the power is in the details. If you're learning to study the Bible, and we sent six men over to Boise a couple weeks ago to go to a conference about studying and teaching the Bible. The power is in the details. The answers are in the book. You all have the teacher's manual. There are no blank spaces in your Bibles. When Jesus said Zacchaeus, you could just read that. How would Jesus know his name? And that tells me Jesus went there for that man. And Jesus knows your name. You are not invisible. Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Do you hear that? He didn't have to receive him joyfully. He could have said, don't tell me what to do. That's my attitude. But when they saw it, they all complained. Who is they? The religious people. They all complained, saying, he has gone to be the guest, to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Zacchaeus, or Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is or has become a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. It's important to know what God has called you to do. What God has, I need to know what God has called me to do. Jesus was telling us, this is what the Father has sent me to do. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Everything I'm doing, I'm doing that. 
And people were always pulling at Jesus to come and do this and come and to do this. And if you don't know what God has put on your life to do, you don't know which, what decisions to make. Churches struggle for identity because they don't know what God has called them to do. When you figure it out, it all falls into place. This is why I'm here. This is why I'm in Jericho. This is why I'm passing through for that man. Zacchaeus was someone the Jews, the religious people, had written off. He was rich. He was important in society's eyes, but he was also despised because he was not only a tax collector, but the chief of the tax collectors. He's in charge of the tax collectors. And they were known for not just collecting taxes for Rome. They were, they were despised because they worked for Rome, although they were often Jewish. And whatever they could collect above what Rome required from the people, they got to keep it. And so tax collectors would be very creative about how to get more money out of the people that they could become rich. And he knew he was guilty, but it was an accepted method. Every, we all, everyone does it. Sound familiar? Everyone does it. But to religious people, he was then just seen and written off as a sinner. And to their mind, it meant beyond hope. Don't even waste your time on a person like Zacchaeus. Jericho was like the Palm Springs of Israel. Good weather. People, even the wealthy, had vacation homes there. So this whole community is successful, wealthy, jockeying for positions. And Jesus didn't have to go through Jericho but he had to go through Jericho. Just like the woman at the well in Samaria, Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. Now, he didn't need to go through Samaria. He didn't need to go through Jericho. But in his mind, there's someone there I have to go see. The woman at the well, the chief tax collector, the same, the same in God's eyes. I I feel like I talk about this a lot to you in my messages, but I think we need to hear it over and over again. That our job is not to grow a church, it's to represent God. And in doing that, God adds to the church. Church growth, ministry opportunities are a byproduct of doing the work God has given us to do. And I, as a, a pastor, as the staff, it's always a struggle to stay focused on the main task because we're always planning, planning, planning. And we easily just get our eyes off of the main job and onto just organization. And any church runs that risk of missing it. There's three things that really stand out to me that really tell me Zacchaeus 
is really, really open to what God is doing. And he's really changing. He's not just sticking his nose in going, what's going on here? There's really three things. One, he ran and climbed a tree to see Jesus. Men didn't do that. Wealthy, successful men didn't do that. That was, that was something that would be undignified. Children acted like that. He had heard of Jesus. Here's what's important. This was an opportunity, and he wasn't going to miss it. There were crowds. He could have easily said, oh, I heard Jesus was coming, but there was too many people. I, I couldn't get my way in there, so... You know what? It doesn't matter. When somebody wants to find Jesus, they make their way. They get here. Now, that's not a pitch, a push that you should never miss church. But when people say, oh, I meant to come to church sometime, and they never get here, that's kind of an excuse. This man made it happen. This man made it happen. Secondly, he gladly, he joyfully received Jesus into his heart. I mean, into his house. He didn't have to. Jesus says, I must stay at your house. He goes, I don't, I'm not ready. I'm busy. Joyfully receives Jesus into his house. Now, when people know that they're not living a right life, they don't want to be around me. They'll avoid me. If I'm on a plane or something and talking to people, I don't tell people I'm a pastor unless they ask, what do you do for a living? Because as soon as I tell them I'm a pastor, they, they shut up. Or, or they're going to start gushing with lots of questions. But I'd rather just talk to people without telling them I'm a secret agent. But the real evidence that there's a change in this man is he became generous. He didn't have to, but he became a generous man. He promised to give half of his money to the poor to return fourfold of what he had taken falsely from people. Under the Mosaic law, if a thief voluntarily confessed, then he had to restore what he had taken, add one-fifth to it, and then bring a trespass offering to the temple. It's in Leviticus 6. If he stole something he couldn't restore, he had to repay it fourfold. If he was caught with the goods, then he had to repay double. What's fascinating is that Zacchaeus imposes on himself the highest requirement for his guilt. He doesn't just say, I'll be fair from now on, or I'll help a few poor people. It, the highest penalty that, that is in the law, he imposes on himself. He just wants to make it right. He wants to make it right. And so Jesus said, Today, salvation has come to this house because he also has become a son of Abraham. This man is now part of the family of God. That's what he's saying. 
I love seeing people sitting in church that don't go together. People that out in the world don't fit, but once something has changed in their heart and they're a part of the family, we just see them as part of the family. Now, the Pharisees look at people and would say, you need to clean up first and then we'll consider letting you in. But Jesus says, you know what? Let's clean the inside first and then the outside will follow. The outside will follow. The disciples are about to be sent out into the world to represent Jesus. We're, we're counting down to the cross. We're in the final stretch of Jesus' ministry. And the truth is, they still don't understand the heart of God. They've seen it. But they would often send people away that wanted to come to Jesus. Moses got in trouble for this in the Old Testament. It's one of the key points in Moses' life that in the wilderness, he became angry with the people instead of speaking graciously. And God said to Moses, Moses, what are you doing? I didn't tell you to do that. When you represent God, you better get it right. Fake spirituality will come out. This fake piety, it shows up in our fake spiritual language, in our irritation with people, our impatience. Even maybe when something is revealed in our own life, it shows up because we're defensive instead of humble. The disciples have to get this right. The Bible tells us that when Jesus looked on the crowds of people, he was moved with compassion. I mean, his very emotions physically reacted with this sense, a wave of, of compassion for people. Not those dirty people. The churches would look at the hippies with those dirty. In fact, Pastor Chuck confessed. He says, that's how I felt about the hippies. Those dirty hippies. And the Lord had to change his heart. And it was, talk about worlds collide between the established churches and the hippie kids who came into the church. When I fail, I imagine God's disappointed, so disappointed in me and that God's impatient with me. And probably the best thing for learning the, the grace and the heart of God is my own failures. Because it, you see, it was when I was in my mid-30s, 33, 34, 35, just before I became a pastor at 35, came to Portland. I was so committed to getting my life, you know, just fully committed to the Lord. And Lord, Lord, I'm really serious about serving you now. And I didn't even know that I was making it about my commitment, my diligence, my faithfulness. And the Lord took me through a season in life that lasted a couple of years 
that was painful. It was so painful because everything I was doing failed. There was this whole list of things that I was doing and was doing well. It suddenly started failing. And I, what it brought up in me was an attitude. God, don't you see what, how, how faithful I am? Why are you letting these things happen to me? Have you ever thought that about God? I'm, I'm trying to serve you. Why are you letting these things happen to me? Better treatment from God. I didn't even know. I was putting, presenting my works to God and indirectly expecting him to bless me in return. I'm afraid that too many pastors have this attitude and they don't even know it. If I am faithful, then God will bless the church. Now, there is a seed of truth in that, right? Of course, we need to be faithful to what the Lord has called us to do. But he blesses our lives. He blesses the church because he is good, not because we're good. And the important distinction is simply that a life of faith is in dependence on God's supply rather than a dependence on our efforts. You see, the work that God gives you to do is way way bigger than your abilities. So let's not limit God. He wants to do above and beyond all that we could ever ask or think. So if I make it about me, then God's going, well, I wanted to do more, but you made it about you. And that shift, I, I, I was completely devastated in this series of failures when I was 35 years old. It was then that we left Northern California, came to the Northwest. I didn't even know where I would end up. I was going to go find a job, crawl under a rock, and I didn't know what was going to happen next to my life. A wife, three little girls, six, eight, and ten at the time. It was at my worst time ever that I became the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Portland. I called the church just to say hi to the pastor and see what, what's happening in, in Portland. An elder calls me back and said, well, our pastor just resigned two weeks ago. He stood up on a Sunday morning and said, this is my last Sunday, and nobody knew it. Sound familiar? So I've been here before. And they said, well, are you a pastor? I was silent. I was dead silent on the phone. Going, well, this is a trick question, right? I've just failed at everything. I don't deserve anything in my mind. I don't deserve anything. I said, well, I've been preparing for ministry. I was at Costa Mesa for years. 
been serving at another church, but no one's ever called me pastor. But I've been preparing. I can teach. Would you teach this coming Sunday, they said. This is a trick question. So I taught that next Sunday. I've just been out of California a week. I've just failed at everything. Did I mention that? I called Catherine. She's staying with her parents in Seattle. Her father's a pastor and was a pastor in Seattle. I said, you'll you'll never, ever guess. I'm teaching at Calvary Chapel Portland this Sunday. And I became the pastor. I have learned of the grace of God in my failures. It was the best thing God could have ever put me through so that I would really be of any use to people who also have failed. Have you ever failed? A few of you? Every one of you gets your turn. Every one of you gets a turn. And when that happens, I get to tell my story. Oh, but Terry, you have it all together and your family's so nice and whatever. Blah, blah, blah. No, you don't. Let me tell you the secret of my past. I have failed in all of these things. God will let you fail so that you will see you're not so great. I saw the attitude that came out of my mouth, but I don't deserve this. Well, when I bless you, you won't deserve it either. So let's just get that straight. So I can work hard in the grace of God, or I can work hard by my own abilities. I would rather work hard in the grace of God and just know that whatever fruit comes of it, it's the Lord. It was not me. And there is so much more peace in living in the grace of God. So when we look at people who are maybe homeless in alternate lifestyles or even the successful people of Albany, we have to have God's heart. So what do I do? Let me, let me just remind you of the simplest things. When you see people out there, just be nice to them. Be gracious to them. You don't walk up with your Bible and quote John 3.16. Just talk to people. Hey, how's it going? What are you doing? My wife tells me, stop talking to those people. I've talked to people in the airport. It's like, You don't have to talk to everybody, Terry. I've just found it easy to just talk to people. Don't be super spiritual and don't put on, don't put on your evangelist hat and say, well, I don't know how to witness to people. How about you just be nice to people and and just show them there's something different about you. And I've actually had people here in Albany go, there's something different about you. That's really weird to hear. I mean, I'm going, I know I'm I'm odd, but (laughs) no, they just stop and they go, 
They're almost surprised that you would be super nice to them. And even people in stores or, you know, Starbucks, when I go, you know, the kids and whatever pronouns they want to be called by and, and I don't look like their group and I just treat them and they just start to light up. And they even, it's like no indication of how often I go to Starbucks, but they know my name and they know my, my drink order. Maybe because I'm there a lot, but it might also be, be, be um, because I, I was nice to them. And I like that. And then they go, I was at Starbucks yesterday, last story, and we're going to have communion. I think I'm invisible. I really think I'm nobody, okay? I'm just telling you. I think I am absolutely nobody. I'm your pastor, but nobody knows who I am. But I'm sitting at Starbucks yesterday, and a woman came to me. I did not know her. It says, are you part of that verbatim church? Now, she doesn't go here, but she was with two little girls. And they said, that's Pastor Terry. They were about six and eight, and they come here with their parents. So, I mean, I've never talked to those kids, but I love it that kids will look at me or look at you, and they love to be here. And to just show the kindness and the grace of God. So next weekend, harvest party, that's important for families to be here. And we are showing them the heart of God. Maybe they don't know what the love of God looks like. Maybe their own families are dysfunctional and broken. And they're going to look at you and say, what are those people like? On Sunday is a baptism. We should add more to whoever needs to be baptized. If that's you, if it's any even friends you have who want to be here and be baptized, they don't have to go to church here. They do need to believe in Jesus. And I believe that the simplicity of just showing the love and grace of God is infectious, it's contagious, and it's life-changing to a community. So go be nice. That's my evangelistic strategy. Just wherever you go, you go. Just talk to people and come out of your little shell and do nice things for people. This morning, we're going to receive communion together. And I encourage you to just reset Respond to this message and reset your heart. We all need to go, yeah, that's what I want. How many of you have said to yourself during this message, I want to be like that. I want to have the heart of God for people. Let me see your hands. We all need this reminder just constantly because we realize we got caught up in things. We got distracted. So just Get back to the simplicity of this walking with Jesus rather than trying to work for Jesus and performing. So during this song, come up and receive the the communion from the communion basket and then take a minute in your seat and remember that the bread and the cup are symbols 
They're reminders of what the Lord's done for us. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you for the remission of sins. It's done. It's all done. Jesus said the last thing he said on the cross to tell us it is finished. So if it's finished, how many of you, if a credit card bill is paid off, you're going to keep sending payments in? You're going to keep doing that? That's crazy. So if your debt is paid, stop trying to pay the bill. Stop trying to work to earn some favor with God. It's finished. And so this is your little reminder to say, your bill has been paid. Lord, thank you this morning for your gracious reminders. And we want our hearts to be the same as yours. Responding to people in compassion, in kindness, with a readiness for an answer when the opportunity comes, but first of all, to love people. To see the opportunity like you saw Zacchaeus, you saw that man. And may we see those opportunities as well. As each of us receives of the communion today, Lord, just set it, reset our heart, make it right and ready to go out into the world. Speaking for you, Lord bless this, we pray in your name, amen. Just come up when you're ready and then have a minute of prayer with the Lord.